sleep, motherfucker. Don't go to sleep. And do me a favor. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Well, what the hell are you saying, boss? You've lost half your body sleeping. I I sleep pretty hard. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories exists to lay waste to the rumor and innuendo you've heard about your favorite bands and your favorite songs. My name is Brian, and sitting in the second chair today, Murdoch has the week off. And w- welcome back to the show. It's uh, musician, friend, music aficionado, former radio guy himself, Phil Medley. Hey, what's going on, man? Hey, thanks for coming back, dude. Hey, this is fun. Uh, how's the new record going, man? Last time we talked to you, the new record was about to come out. The solo record, your band Adventure, uh, was had yeah. blessed you to go forth on your own for for a musical adventure. So yes. how's how's that going? So it's a six song EP. It's gotten some airplay across the United States, which I'm you know thrilled to death about. And um, yeah, it's done. It's it's done everything I've hoped it's done. <laughs> Tiny Rivers so, is the name of it, t- correct? Tiny Rivers. Tiny Rivers. It's on, you know, all the streaming stuff. And you can get it, you know. It's even on SoundCloud for free. Look at you. you. Can find it. I mean, you can. I've even opened that floodgate. Do you have so. a collaboration with a SoundCloud rapper? That's really the reason you use SoundCloud now, right? I listen. Like, it's so great because <laughs> it'll play my song and then it'll go into, like, this great hip-hop song. I'm just like, who is this? <laughs> you know, it's this the equivalent of me in the hip hop world some guy in his basement making some great yeah, music yeah. well it, we're getting to the age too where we have like I don't know if this has happened to you yet but you'll be at a party or whatever and you'll meet some adult and they'll be like oh mm-hmm. yeah my, my, my kid thinks he's a SoundCloud rapper and you're like, oh really? Get, hit me, <laughs> hit me up with that link. <laughs> I, I'll listen. I'll yeah, listen. <laughs> I, I want to check that out. That has happened to me more than once. Uh, well, listen, we're not here to talk about SoundCloud rap no. today. We are, no, uh, you know, no. recently on the show, we've been uh, last few episodes, we've went back to sort of our bread and butter of the mid '80s, talking about metal. Murdoch has been like wow, a pig yeah. in crap. It's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun because before that, we'd been diving into all sorts of stuff i i got on a whole 50s jag a few months ago and we were we were doing all sorts of stuff about um you know the the music business in the 50s and 60s today though i I, i've got a very well documented tale that in almost 100 episodes i'm i'm sort of surprised we haven't tackled but i think it, it really feels like it's time um so this is uh we're gonna go full on sad dad today you're a dad i'm a dad are you oh, yeah. a, are you a yeah. sad dad? I'm. Uh, what is it? What are the prerequisites to be a sad dad? Do you like Wilco and War on Drugs? I think I think those are the prerequisites. <laughs> you know, uh, War on Drugs. I don't think I've listened to one single song. <laughs> Wilco. I saw. I really like them, but like their second album, I saw them live in a bar on their second album. And then I I divorced them because I, I don't know I don't know didn't like the rest of the stuff. <laughs> and then I saw a documentary with them and I thought oh I'll, I'll probably I'll probably relike them after I watch this documentary and it made me like them less. <laughs> really? Which it was the I'm trying to break your heart documentary. I think or is there so. another one where it was like he had to throw up every five minutes and it was like <laughs> it was like all about him. <laughs> I don't know. It just got weird. It got too weird for me. Uh, I'm not a sad dad then. I'm no, a happy dad. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Me too. But this is gonna this is gonna make you sad as a dad oh, today because oh, we're, we're, okay. we're talking about 1990s era Eric Clapton. Oh goodness gracious! Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we we talked about Clapton on the show before, but we okay. talked specifically about actually the most the most popular episode of this show. There's a very good chance that if you're listening to this show, you know us maybe from this episode we did about Eric Clapton and George Harrison. Mm. And and of course Patty Boy. Right. Patty, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is I don't know why, but corners of the internet have found this fascinating and have sure. rewarded our efforts and and talking about it at length. So you can go back and find that in our catalog. It's literally at the very beginning. I think it's in the first 5 episodes of this show. Um but it continues wow. people continue to write about it, send, you know, talk about it with us and all sorts of stuff. So this is about the first time outside of some random mentions because you know, I mean he's a big looming figure in rock history that we've sure. really talked at length about Eric Clapton. And so we're, we're, we're not going to do 70s heyday Clapton. We're going to go to 90s Clapton. But I, awesome. I'll tell you, an amazing career. Like, he, he d- doesn't really slow down in the 90s. He's still on pop radio in the 90s, which is a weird thing yeah. 
mathematically for me, but I'm like, so what's the equivalent of that? And this is what I, I did this earlier. The equivalent of that is Justin Timberlake still being on pop radio in 2022. Which, that's not crazy. That's not crazy I mean, at all. No, that's not crazy at all. I just heard sexy back. <laughs> so, okay. It may be worth reminding everyone the, the legendary status of this guy. Cause I think some of this is sometimes like we sort of forget depending on how old you are and what era of Clapton you were most exposed to. Um, I mean, we because recently on the show too, we talked about "Change the World" in passing the song that he does in oh, the wow. mid '90s. Do you remember that song? Yeah, yeah. So hey, here's a here's a fun connector fact. If you didn't hear this episode, it was on the Garth Brooks versus Chris Gaines episode because oh. the guys that wrote all the Chris Gaines music were Christian rock guys who wrote "Change the World" for Eric Clapton. Uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah. Uh huh. I did not know that. And I so, figured, well, yeah. Well, it, it so Clapton he does that, and then like in the two thousands he does a bunch of stuff with he does like these duet records where he like he mm. does a, a record with BB King and one with like JJ Kale and uh, he's obviously a great guitar player. He ranks among the legends, but I mean, you realize this guy's in the Hall of Fame three times. See, I think the only guy that's done this he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a solo artist. Yeah. Do you know the other two? Let's go. Uh, I'll say Cream. Yep. Okay. And then his other big one. Uh, maybe uh, he was in Cream. And uh, what's the other one? Um, There's so many. He was okay. So no. he precedes Jimmy Page in the Yardbirds. Oh. He's also in the Blues Breakers. He's also in Blues. Cream. Mile. Yeah. He's in Cream. Right. He's also in Blind Faith. Blind Faith was the one I was looking at. But Blind Faith wouldn't be in there. They put one record out. Right. And he's in Derek yeah. and the Dominoes. Derek and the Dominoes. Oh. Well, then Derek and the Dominoes? No, I, be- no? I believe it's Yardbirds. Yardbirds, Yardbirds. Oh, Cream, okay. and then Clapton is a solo artist. Yeah, Yardbirds makes sense. It, and, and it's not like the solo artist thing is an afterthought. He has sold more than 280 million records worldwide as a solo artist. Huh. One of the best-selling musicians of all time. Wow. Yeah, Impressive. I mean, yeah, I and I mean, you and I spent a lot of time in classic rock radio, and I, I mean, yeah, he's he's one of the big dogs, but like he is. Sure. Okay, not only did he do all that, you know, he was pals with all the Beatles. Yep. And he uh, obviously on, Harrison. Yeah, yeah, he played on a Beatles song. I think he's the only like one of two people who played on Beatles songs. There's a story Sorry. that Harrison actually invited Clapton to the studio during the recording of the White Album initially because he thought yeah. it would ease tension. Because <laughs> he was the one guy that all four of them liked and didn't want to look like idiots in front of. <laughs> and, and this is this isn't super well documented, but there's also a tale that Harrison actually walked out on the band briefly in 69. Have you ever heard this? No, yes. Yeah, I watched the... Did you watch the documentary? Well, yeah, okay. So... Okay. Yes, the, so yes, I did. The story is Twickenham, right? The story is that Clapton was the vote to replace him from Lennon. Well, if you watch that documentary, he's like George Harrison is putting it on the tee. He's putting the ball on the tee for him. He's like, well, you know, if you get Clapton in there, you'll play all the stuff you like. And they're like, no, we don't really want Clapton. And he's like, well, maybe, maybe. Well, there's this whole thing where. Uh, and there's an article in the show notes that I think gets into this a little bit if you want to go deeper, but there, there's this letter that someone has found, and it, it was actually written from Lennon to Clapton in the in 71 or 72, so the Beatles have already broken up, but there's sure. all these references to like how they should be together, like work together, but like it almost sounds like he's insinuating that the Beatles could get back together. It's very strange. So there's been a lot of speculation about, yeah, like, like would Clapton at some point have actually joined the Beatles? Who knows? Um, but, but it, it just sort of cements his place as total rock and roll legend. Yeah. 
We have to cut out all this political talk lately. Oh my god! So (laughs) I I had I had some stuff scribbled in the margins for later. Like, do we Uh, just want do we just want to talk about what a nightmare he is now? But we'll we'll see Uh, if we have time. We'll see if we have time for a different podcast. Well, we're gonna by the end of this when we get to like midnight, like first couple years of the nineties, we're gonna feel very sympathetic towards him. You know, like so so maybe maybe I won't have the energy to berate him for being an idiot. Right. Um, I like it. Another time. Okay, so <laughs> let's talk about this. Let, let's get us from 70s Clapton to 90s Clapton. The easiest way to do this, though it's not the most thorough, is to call 70s the, the drugs decade and 80s the alcohol decade. Which is Oh, okay. That's how you divide those up. <laughs> I mean, it's not the nicest way to categorize it, but it is accurate. Um, okay. I, I will say, even though he was doing heroin in the 70s, Lots of impressive output. 461 Ocean Boulevard comes out in 74. That that has I Shot the Sheriff, his first number one. Yep. Uh, how do you feel about his version of I Shot the Sheriff? Um, do, do, you think, do you think it was reggae. good for Bob Marley or bad for Bob Marley? Um, It probably was good for... I don't know how how popular Marley was. It's kind of one of those things... Yeah, he like, wasn't. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it probably brought him to the forefront. Sure. I get worried about a lot of artists like that, the Stones and Zeppelin and Clapton. How they they it's there's kind of a double edged sword there. You bring them to the forefront, but then do they do they actually reap any rewards off of it? And I think probably Marley reaped more rewards off of all because it was late enough in history. L- let me let me ask you this: I I, I sort of feel like after a certain point. And I don't know when this point is, but probably mid, early to mid '80s. After a certain point, even though the surrounding things that would happen as a male in college would vary, I feel like the one constant is everybody knew like seven dudes in their dorm in college who had a Bob Marley blacklight poster. Did, did this? Yes. <laughs> What the hell? I mean, I went to college in the early 2000s, and I, it was like, it might as well have been, I mean, it was this timeless time when everyone loved Bob Marley, and you would hear Bob Marley just thumping out of out I, of dorm rooms. I'm going to go one step further. I saw the posters. I never heard the music. Oh, really? Nobody had. Nobody had yeah, you're, no. you're right. There were a lot of people that didn't have the music, but did have the poster. Yeah, I was like, that's weird. I know yeah. we're thinking about the same poster, too. Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay, so 1975. <laughs> 1975, there's one in every crowd. The record comes out. Did you you know the original title of that record? No. Okay, so it was supposed to be there's one in every crowd, parentheses. Uh, oh, no, no, no. It was supposed to be called the world's greatest guitar player, parentheses, there's one in every crowd, which I think is hilarious. That is pretty good. <laughs> they were worried that, I guess, non-guitar players wouldn't think that was funny. So right. they, they went back just to <laughs> call it there's one in every crowd. But that makes me laugh. Uh, by the end of the decade, we get slow hand. And of course, okay. that's when we're blessed with Wonderful Tonight. And again, if you want mm-hmm. dirt on that song and the heartache behind it, go back to the aforementioned episode about Clapton versus Harrison. Now, there you go. the 80s, the alcohol decade, uh, yes, he goes to rehab in the early part of the decade, mid-decade. He's like in this. I'm in a good hang. I'm a good hang period, and he's okay. he's just right. hanging out with everybody. And this is sort of what he does in the 2000s too. But in the 80s, he's like, I'm going to play with Roger Waters. I'm going to play with the Bee Gees. I'm going to play with Dire Straits. I'm going to play with Elton John. Did you know two of his albums? 85's Behind the Sun. 86 is August. Do you know who produced those two records for him? Oh. Gotta give me like some clue. I mean, it could have been. Anything. He was in Genesis. Phil Collins. Phil Collins no. produces Phil those Collins? two records. Yeah, really. Yeah. Uh, in '89, he releases Journeyman, and this is another record where he invites all his friends. Tons of the usual suspects: George Harrison, Phil Collins, Daryl Hall, right. Shaka Khan, Mick Jones, David Sanborn, Robert Cray. Robert Cray used to play in Fayetteville, Arkansas, where I went to school all the time. Like that guy looks twice tall. a year. I just remember the the Robert Cray album cover uh, where he's got the Stratocaster and it looks like a toy. <laughs> Robert Cray must be like eight and a half feet tall. Like playing a little tiny, like a little tiny guitar. Uh. Hey, hey, but wait, did you gloss over the 80s and not do uh, the Color of Money soundtrack? Oh, uh, you know, I looked, I, I, I read that in the notes. So when I was putting the notes together, I had that. And then I was like, oh, I don't know. Do we need to mention this? Tell me, are you a Color of Money guy? No, but I mean, you know, I just remember that video. I remember, you know, the song. Yeah, yeah. It's in the, it's in the way that you use it. 
Uh, totally. Uh, so he even he does pick up a Grammy at the end of the decade for a song called "Bad Love." Uh, no, he doesn't. Yeah, he does. What? Yeah. So <laughs> what so, song is that? <laughs> listen, man. That's how much. That's how much he rules the eighties, man. That much. Wow, that's impressive. Uh, well, he just song. rules in general. He just like people just hand him awards. We'll talk more mm. about all the awards he wins in the nineties. Now, sp- speaking of bad love. As good as yep. the professional endeavors are at this point, Clapton's love life, not great. <laughs> we, we, we've already known this. Again, again, one more time, just plugging my own stuff. All this stuff about Patty Boyd is in a different episode. But mm-hmm. those two marry in 79, and the relationship is, is a nightmare. Uh, because, frankly, being married to an alcoholic is pretty terrible from what I gather. Yeah, yeah. Clapton since admitted that he was just terrible to her. He's abusive. He's not faithful at all. But to add to that, they can't get pregnant. Mm. So she's having miscarriages pretty regularly, I think, for a while. They try in vitro, which I wasn't even sure you could do in the early 80s. It's all very tenuous. Meanwhile, Clapton himself is not quelling the desires for extracurricular activities he impregnates two women not good uh one of them gives birth in 85 and this is the woman who was managing george martin's recording studio which he records he records a record at in 85 sure they keep this entirely secret for like Mm. four years like no one knows about it you would think including his wife including his wife then he has another child this and this is like a year later. This is like the time I went to jail for public <laughs> intox twice within two months, and people were like, "Bro, the first time was an accident. The second time, you've set up a pattern, right?" Uh, so they keep this entirely. St- uh, so he has the other child. This time with the Italian model Lori Del Santo. Oh, not even. Oh man. Okay. And she gives birth to Connor. In August okay. of 86. And and this is what finally ends the marriage to Patty. Patty and Eric eventually divorce in 89. Wow. So he wrote a whole album about her. <laughs> and then kind of... Wow. Eh. These guys that live large and then write about it, I'm always like, it just feels risky. because It feels risky. It, it's yeah. like, listen, man, I'm a guy, I don't know about you, I'm a guy who I don't like to fight with my wife over text messages because I don't want to open up my text messages on a day that I'm like, cool, hey, I'm going to go get you some some take. Let's have a great night together. And then I open up like, remember when you said that terrible thing to me on text message, right? Like, <laughs> I don't want that to happen. Can you imagine that happening just because you turn on the radio and K-Hits is playing, you know, Wonderful Tonight? <laughs> like, what a drag. Ah, uh, well. <laughs> so, then the 1990s happened. And yeah. there are, there are actually two terrible losses the Clapton suffers within six months or so. And this is interesting. I've never heard this drawn, these two lines drawn together before, Mm. but I I, want to compare him to Robert Plant for a moment. So recently on the show, we talked about what happened with Robert Plant losing both Bonham and his son very close together. Oh, See, I didn't know that was that close together. It's it's within. I think it's more like a couple years. Yeah, but, but for Clapton, it's it's even closer. So, let's talk about another legendary blues guitarist who struggled with drugs and alcohol and also finished the '80s in rare form. Um, I'm talking about Stevie, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you know that saying? A quart of whiskey and a quarter ounce of cocaine a day keep the doctor away. <laughs> it's not a saying, but that is that's actually that's actually You're lying. <laughs> <laughs> That's legitimately the story on Stevie Ray Vaughan's intake in the mid '80s. Oh my gosh! And that yeah. was like he became huge. He, he so, became legendary in the '80s. You know, it's really interesting because I would have been young enough and not paying attention to blue. Let me let's stop. Let's add, let's have this conversation. I have this theory. I'm sure I've talked about it on a mic before. That people, their brains are wired one of two ways. If you're musically sort of, if you acknowledge music as like a right, communication right, right. mechanism, you're wired one of two ways. Pop brain or blues brain. 
And, and, okay. And what it is is it's the Beatles Stoners argument, right? People say you're sure. a Beatles person, you're a Stones person. So yeah. I know you love the Stones, but I I also I think you have a real affection for the Beatles. I'm definitely Correct. in this scenario a Beatles or pop brain guy. I I don't. Sure. I mean, I I appreciate the blues. I get it, but it doesn't vibrate on a frequency that seems unique to me. Most of it sure. sort of feels derivative, and it's sure. it's fine. It's just not my thing. So this sort of lineage where you have everybody from Muddy Waters who Stevie Ray Vaughan used to open for in the 70s, which is just bizarre. Um, right. And into Stevie, and I mean, really to Clapton and, you know, all of that, it, it's just not as close to my heart. How do you feel? Are you a blues brain guy or a pop brain guy? <sighs> okay, so... I am a, I would say I'm a blues brain guy. Yes. But I think there is a fine line. I think the purists who tried to carry that forward mm-hmm. are the worst. <laughs> right? And so it's like, so when I, when I like listen to the Stones or Zeppelin, though I don't listen to them a lot anymore, I at least feel they, they didn't continue, they didn't try to be, blues players they expanded on it they expanded and kind of just like went you know totally different right yeah so Um, you're like a guy who thinks it's a good idea to put coke in your bourbon you don't have to have the bourbon straight (laughs) correct yeah that's what i meant but like so like the so like the like the stevie ray vaughn's and the clapton's who were like kind of carrying the torch i kind of felt like we're like we're kind of missing the boat like like I, you know, I mean, I get the talent of Stevie Ray Vaughan. I get that, um, and I can understand the draw. But then I like, then I listen to like Jimi Hendrix, and I'm like, well, that guy was like definitely blues based, but like insane. And so like that is sort of more what I think the blues should have, you know, continued into. Yeah. So that's really interesting, and I I think I feel that because I like Zep. And I like the Stones, especially Eras of the Stones, but I, I like the Stones. So, uh, yes, the thing that resonates and really gets my blood pressure going is is that more like the big pop hooks. But I understand what what you're painting here, and I, I think I agree yeah. with it. Quick aside about Jimi Hendrix, I, I didn't know until I saw it. I saw something the other day down a rabbit hole on the internet, and I was like, is this a real thing? That there was this period where Jimi Hendrix... Right after Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band came out, mm-hmm. he was playing a gig, and I think it was like Paul and Ringo were in the yeah. audience. Do you know this yeah. story? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And he he learned it, and they came out and opened with it. It was like the day. It was, I think Sgt. Pepper was released on the Friday, and his gig was Sunday. Yeah. And he opened with it. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And it was, uh, what a move. <laughs> yes, that is such a baller move. But also, yeah. I didn't I f- always forget that like 15 years ago they made a Jimi Hendrix movie that nobody saw with Andre 3000 playing Hendrix? Oh, you're right. And I, I saw the trailer, but I never I've never seen it. So on YouTube, you can see this clip of that this fictionalized. I mean, you know, I'm sure. taking a lot of liberties, but fictionalizing yeah. this encounter of, of him coming out and playing. So watching Andre 3000, even if it's mm. even if you just say, "Hey, listen, that's the guy from Outcast. I don't dressed as Jimi Hendrix uh playing, you know, Sgt. Pepper's. It's awesome." Yeah, it <laughs> so is. So good, it is. dude. The, so so good. The, even the actual, there is some audio from that, from the actual concert uh, of Jimi Hendrix's concert, and uh, it's really good. I mean, like the way he does that song is pretty awesome. But what the best part of it is, he keeps telling the the person in front or the people in front that it's going to be really, really loud. Yeah, yeah. And, like he's he's t- <laughs> like he keeps telling him he's like. Like you're gonna cover your ears or something, or put earphones. I don't know what he tells them, but it's like you're, I'm gonna make you deaf oh, with my amazing. Marshall stack. That's amazing. Pretty awesome. Uh, anyway, so aside, listen. Well, well, back to Stevie Ray Vaughan. What started this was your observation that he was huge. Yeah, and, and you're right. Yeah, he was. He was especially for being in this corner uh, as a true blues guitarist. He right. was incredibly 
famous. And I think that's been sort of lost if you weren't around for it. I mean, unless you know, I mean, I remember coming up in classic rock radio, knowing plenty of radio right. guys who were like, Stevie Ray was my guy. Um, yeah. But I don't, I just, he's sort of gotten a little bit lost in that. But if you, it's important to understand how big he was at this moment. Mm. And at the end of the decade, the 80s. So, I mean, he's doing that much in terms of cocaine and whiskey. But ironically, it's not what kills him. He, no. he actually gets his stuff together. Um, the end of the decade, he plays Madison Square Gardens. He puts out his best album with Double Trouble, uh, an album called In Step, which he said he named because, quote, I am finally in step with life, myself, and my music. The liner notes actually had a an Alcoholics Anonymous 12-step program quote in them. Wow. And And... This is another crazy aside. <laughs> he plays the inaugural party for President H.W. Bush. What? <laughs> yeah. Which, so if you, not, not, I don't want to get political, but I will just say that there's a there's a great Steve Kornacki book, Kornacki book about um, sort of the politicization of the extreme things that happen between like the left and the right that really start to happen at the beginning of the 90s. And huh. I think this is such a funny thing to point back to because sometimes you read about stuff that happens in the 80s and you're like, we well, you're just, everybody was cool with that? Like now, <laughs> if somebody just, somebody played at the Trump White House, dude, like all of Hollywood and 90% of the music business would lose their minds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But this guy's just like, cool, yeah, man, I'll play your party. It's the president, uh, right? It's that's the president. How the 80s were. That's, that's the president. That is, that is how you it know. was, which is so interesting. It's just such an interesting little bit to to think about in terms of how much things have shifted in thirty years. So, okay, here here's a bit of life's poetry. Actually, when when Stevie was fourteen, he auditioned for his first gig in a band for a band called Southern Distributor, and you know what they asked him to play? Uh, a, a Clapton song, a Yardbird song. Yeah. Uh-huh. I knew it. And then 20 years later, the end of summer of 1990, coming off this gold record and feeling better than ever, he's opening for a former member of the Yardbirds. Of the Yardbirds. And so it's, a, it's a show in Wisconsin, Monday, August 27, 1990. So they play at this place that is in East Troy, Wisconsin. It's called the Alpine Valley Music Theater, and it's nestled inside a resort. And there's one road in, and there's one road out. So when a show ends, the act can't get out in any sort of timely manner. So it was very common that when a show would end here, they would bring a helicopter from O'Hare, or Midway, and they would come on down, pick up the artist, and take him back to Midway so they could fly out. Yep. So that's what happens. But it's 12.50 a.m. And Stevie... And a couple people from Clapton's crew get on this helicopter to go to Midway. And this helicopter was up against a very bad night. This is from the actual report from the National Transportation Safety Board. Quote, as the third helicopter was departing, it remained at a lower altitude than the others. And the pilot turned southeasterly toward rising terrain. Subsequently, the helicopter crashed on hilly terrain about three-fifths of a mile from the takeoff point. Translation, the helicopter hits a ski hill. They all die instantly. It's another one of those stories where, like, Eric Clapton almost got on the helicopter. Like, we talked about these recently. We talked about the day the music died recently, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. And how, you know, Waylon Jennings almost on that plane. Coin flip, yeah. You know. Literal coin flip. Uh, I, I mean, you you see this with with Skinner. I mean, Skinner. There was Skinner. They just they made some really bad decisions with the plane crash, but taking that plane at all was not sure. something they should have done. But I mean, this is this is tough stuff. It rocks the music community. Three thousand show up for his funeral. A whole who's who of people like we've already mentioned. Very very beloved artist. And that's the end of August 1990. So, now, fast-forwarding to March 
1991. So remember, he has these two kids, one of which is secret, the other of which is not. And the one that is not is just shy of turning five, and he's living in New York with his mother, Lori. And Clapton is in New York, and he blocks out this day to go spend with his son at Central Park Zoo. So he's getting ready to leave his hotel room and make the trek over to the apartment, and the phone rings. And it's his ex-partner uh, who lives in a high-rise apartment. And she's calling to tell him that it seems there was janitorial work being done in the building where she lives. And at some point, somebody had left a window open on the 53rd floor. It's unclear as exactly where this is. If it's in the apartment, if it's in the hallway. Yeah, I, I read right. something that said it was like at her friend's apartment across the hall or something. I mean, it's just somewhere in the building, but up on the 53rd right. floor. And I mean, we've had young kids, young curious kids. Yeah. Yeah. And people maybe said, are you being a bit of a helicopter? And we were looked at them and said, do you know what happened to Eric Clapton's kid? <laughs> I mean, like, right. you know, like right. it's the worst case yeah. scenario when you're raising a small child. The scary sure. stories that you hear that echo in your brain. And, and this is one of the scariest. This poor child falls out of the 53rd floor window of this high rise in New York City. It's, it's terrible. Devastating. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, and with like, yeah, I, may, I drew the line to Robert Plant. I mean, Plant's kid got like a virus or something, which was terrible. But if your child is suffering, at least there's like some sense of relief that they're not suffering anymore. I mean, the last thing you you wouldn't right. never want to lose them, but it's like, you know, at least they're not suffering. To just have your kids literally just be there one second and gone the next. Yeah, and, that's... I mean, I I read that Clapton had to go to the mortuary and ID the body. Jeez. I don't know how you get over that. No. No, you don't. You don't. Plus, you would think. I mean, and then, so he's 40. He's just shy of 46. The funeral's like two days before his 46th birthday. You would think this sort of tragedy would send somebody with a complicated relationship with substances just totally spiraling back to the bottle. I mean, yeah, Yeah. the pills or whatever. Interestingly, and to his credit, as much as we may later in this episode, talk about him making a lot of dumb choices here recently. Uh, he, he stays clean. So, so had he already cleaned up? Yeah. So when, when Connor's born, he attempts to get sober. So he's, he, Connor's four at this point, almost five and he's three years sober. So early in Connor's life, he fully gets sober. Okay, but you would think—I mean, he—he he, he was in and out of rehab for twenty years. You, you know, sure, yeah. I, I mean, it's yeah, that would be an immediate trigger. Listen, right? yeah, if this happens, of course. I mean, like I'm, I'm like sure, like you know, I mean, yeah, of course. Yeah, and yeah. He actually, story goes, he does not. He does not relapse. Um, mm. The. It also, and I sort of piecing this together from things I read, but I read something that he was sort of spending time, a lot of it by himself, and just sort of like, you know, shut down, shut out the world, and and was in England, and then would go to Antigua, I believe, and back and forth, and and then I, I later in the end of the nineties, I believe he actually opens a treatment center in Antigua. Oh wow. Which is interesting, and I think must must be related sort of to his experience there. I don't know all the details. Sure. But. Oh, yeah. So the website Dick has a nice piece on this story. You can find it in the show notes. I'm reading from it here. Though Clapton was unable to focus on music for some time, he eventually started strumming on a small Spanish guitar to ease his pain. As he thought about his son, the melody of Jimmy Cliff's Many Rivers to Cross was floating around his mind. Do you know this song? No. Do you, no, do you spend much time with Jimmy I, Cliff? A little bit, a little bit. I dabble in some some reggae, and so Jimmy Cliff has come up, but not not enough for me to point that song out. I have one of the live records, and it's delightful, um, but I, yeah. I don't remember yeah. the name of it. So, okay, this is this is on Wonderful World, Beautiful People from 1970. Many rivers to cross is is the song. Listen, listen just to the beginning of this. Man. 
Do you sort of hear it? Yeah, oh, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. So that's mm-hmm. that's the root that he's playing with, right? And and he's just yeah. sort of strumming just a few words sort of to that melody on the Spanish guitar is the way the story goes. So around this same time, he's having conversations with this filmmaker um, who has quite the story to Hollywood career. It's a, it's a whole different subject matter, really. But um, her name is Lily Finney Zenick. Around this time, she's working on a movie about undercover cops who become addicts. Hmm. It's eventually going to be titled Rush and star Jennifer Jason Lee and Jason Patrick. You, yep. ever, you ever see that flick? I didn't see it, but I know, I, I, I've, I know the flick. Yeah, yeah for sure. She, she's looking for songs. And Clapton yeah. is in conversation, goes on, ends up like sort of scoring the movie, and at some point shows her this little piece of something he'd been working on that leaned on this Jimmy Cliff melody. And yep, 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 yep. and when she, when he sings it to her, he uses these words: "Would you hold my hand if I saw you in heaven?" Now later, Lily Finney will tell Newsweek. Quote, it was so painfully personal, so obviously about the son he'd lost, I wondered if it would work in the movie. Which I think is a funny quote, because I'm sure that in the context of it, it doesn't sound like this, but just taken totally out of context, it sounds like that's the only thing she cared about. You know what I mean? She's right, like, listen, right, dude, right. hey, come on, I, I, I need something for my movie. Uh, <laughs> so here's what they do, though, and, and this, is re- this is really interesting to me, because obviously the, the seed of this is just in this absolutely horrible pain. Sure, sure. But yeah. he calls in Will Jennings, who is another songwriter, who does a yep. lot of stuff in the movie world. He'll later go on to write My Heart Will Go On for Titanic. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's the level we're dealing with here. And he comes in and actually finishes the song. Oh, wow. See, I didn't know it was co-written. Yeah. It's like mostly yeah. sort of written by Will Jennings. So it, it's yeah. Eric Clapton gives the heart, right? And he gives the right. line that everyone remembers. Sure. But that, um, you know, the the he I, and it sort of makes sense. Because if you think about what it would be like to try to articulate your feelings about something like that. Uh, I don't think you could. It just, yeah, it would just be awful. And so this idea of like, okay, I'm raw and I'm borrowing from this beautiful Jimmy Cliff moment and now sort of take these raw ingredients and make something and handing it off to a professional make actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that yeah, that totally makes sense. Now because yeah. <laughs> you know there's another song uh about Connor from this period? No. Circus Left Town. Do you know this song? No. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, it, it's the story of attending a circus with him the night before he died. Oh snap. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. I know. Super rough. Right? Now uh, originally the story goes that neither of these were ever meant for public consumption, but did he release that then? So, so he did release that. You're it's saying? unclear to me if he releases circus left town. Okay. Okay. But obviously Will Jennings comes in and finishes out tears in heaven and it goes on to the rush soundtrack. Now, yeah, I do think that there is a version of this story where, it could end right here. If Clapton had left this sitting on a soundtrack, it might have become like this B-side rarity with a sad story and sort of faded out of popular memory. Like, if he just let it sit on the movie soundtrack and never really embraced it beyond that, it, it might just be something we sort of forgot about. But Yeah, yeah. Instead, 10 months later, he's playing MTV Unplugged. And he plays it, yeah. And it's the version on MTV Unplugged that he plays, not the soundtrack version. Right. That becomes the celebrated piece.
Sure. Yeah. Ten months after the tragic accident, he's in a small studio in Berkshire. He's got his glasses on, which is not a way we're used to seeing Clapton. Sure. It's like makes him feel more somber, right? Right. And, he and gives, with an acoustic guitar. I mean, with, I know that's what... Right, yeah, yeah. Well, for, and, yeah, totally out of context. So, you, that's actually a really good point. Because this is the Clapton, due to my age, that I know. Sure. So, yeah. I, I like, for a long time, I, I mean, as a child, I sort of, my memory picks up at MTV Unplugged Eric Clapton. Yes. A, and that version of Layla. Yes. <laughs> Which is crazy. Right, right. Yeah, I... <laughs> Definitely, almost. I almost recognize that more than I recognize the original. Well, and then we we played it in catalog, you know, on, on radio stations for you because sure. it because it was such a big hit that it crossed back yep. over to adult contemporary yep. radio. So we were playing it on, you yep. know, these radio stations where we were playing. My heart will go on next to Eric mm-hmm. Clapton, right? As instead of, and, and this is again, it just speaks to how big Eric Clapton is and has been. Sure. Because he sort of hit every radio format to a certain yep, degree. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. I like this becomes one of the defining outputs of his career. Thirty fifth annual Grammy Awards. He receives six Grammys in some yeah. way, shape, or form for Tears in Heaven. Yep, and it's mostly around the album. The Unplugged album wins three of them. Uh, the record goes number one on the Billboard two hundred. It's certified diamond for selling over ten million copies. Goes number two in the UK albums chart, sort and certified four times platinum over there. Jeez. And this is weird to me. It's weird to say that Eric Clapton won an MTV Music Award because I think of like early two thousands MTV Music Awards, right? Right. When they were all boy bands and Britney and stuff. Right, 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 right. Nineteen ninety two, he wins. Wow. Yeah. I don't know your age, Brian, but that'd be like me winning a Grammy right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, I mean, because he's what I what I tell you, he's forty six, forty seven at this point. Yeah, he's pushing fifty yeah. years old. It's it's great. Yeah. Um, I mean, now he's pushing eighty years old, and he's still doing stuff. But yeah. before we talk about any editorial comments we might have about how he's behaved over the last few years, the other positive that comes out of this tragedy. Again, I'm I'm really trying to feel sympathetic here. He he decides i mean this is sort of messed up to say it this way but he decides to like publicly own the fact that he has this other kid which oh wow okay who yeah. knows if he would have or not right so he he embraces that and this is uh this is from one of the pieces in the show notes ruth kelly ruth kelly clapton was born a year prior to connor and is clapton's only child with yvonne kelly um he kelly offered to let Eric become better acquainted with his daughter in the period following Connor's death. And he did. And over numerous visitations, they established a rapport quote. It was great to be in the company of a child again, my child Clapton writes in his memoir. So, I mean, that's good. I guess he continues. He says, looking back on those years, I realized what a profound effect she had on my well being. Her presence hmm. in my life was absolutely vital to my recovery. Yeah. yeah. Now, did he have kids prior to any of these? So, I don't think so. Because okay. it, it, with Patty, so, you know, the other relationship here is Betty Davis. It, it, Betty Davis, who is married <laughs> to Miles Davis. And okay. who Miles Davis... Uh, tried to have a public divorce from saying that she had had an affair with Jimi Hendrix. This oh, is wow. all real. No, see, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. And so she was connected to Eric Clapton at one time, sort of before Patty Boyd, like early. Okay. Okay. And then I, I read, and I only read this in one place in passing, I read that there was publicly a relationship between Eric Clapton and Sheryl Crow. I read about that. I always, well, yeah, I read about that. Because I thought she wrote a song about it. Oh. Yeah. I thought um, if it makes you happy. But I, I I always think that that song is about Eric Clapton. But I think it's actually another song that's actually about Eric Clapton. But I, I prefer to live in my fantasy world where <laughs> I make up what her songs are about. And I think if it makes you happy, it's about Eric Clapton. Did, did we work she, together? When, when, did we work together at the time that Cheryl Crow just like was at the studio one day? 
Were you no, there that day? I don't think so. No, I would have remembered that. Oh yeah, she's tiny. I do remember that. I, I yeah, I I think she is. Yeah, I remember seeing her open for the Stones, um, and she looked she looked did not look tall. Well, <laughs> she looked like master my height. <laughs> like, yeah, Man. she's 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 little, and I have a picture somewhere I think, but she um. She was also like doing the crossroad, the Clapton's crossroads thing, which is not even a thing we yeah. talked about. Like he had this guitar festival, right? Right. And, right, and right. she was one of these folks. And Clapton's actually been good about helping the rest of the world realize that some people who, especially like in the early two thousands, got sort of pushed into a lane that they were actually really good guitar players, like her and John mm-hmm. Mayer, both. Yeah. Like a lot of people didn't realize before he moved over to this you know, the thing he does with the dead. And now I think it's pretty accepted that he's a great guitar player. He's a fantastic guitar player. And people just sort of thought he was a pretty boy with an acoustic. Yep. Right. Yep. And it was sort yep. of same thing with her. I mean, she's beautiful and she writes these, these singer songwritery songs she wrote. I mean, her mm-hmm. big hit was all I want to do. And which is sort of yeah. a weird alt rock hit. And so <laughs> people don't realize she can rip on the guitar and he sort of brought yeah. that out with this crossroads festival. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a favorite mistake. Really? I think that's the one. That's about Clapton? I think so. Man, look it up. I don't know. All right. Everybody that, in the audience can Google that's, that. I was going to say, that sounds like a but future so. episode of this show. All the songs Sheryl Crow wrote. We'll do like the pre, like what Taylor people do with Taylor Swift now. We'll do it with, with Sheryl Crow songs. <laughs> Just trace them back to celebrities. Trace them back. Who's right that about? Yeah. I, you know, the other thing about Clapton, speaking of this guitar thing, this gearhead thing, I feel like we need to have our mutual friend Rick on to talk about you. Like, anytime I hang out with Rick, I know he wants to talk about guitars, and I'm like, I can't hang super long <laughs> talking about the way the pedal sounds or whatever. But right. um, there, there's there's a lot of, like, Eric Clapton gear lore, because he is yeah. such an amazing musician. And there's this whole story about this guitar that went from Harrison to Clapton and then it's like what he plays on my guitar gently weeps and then oh. at some point it gets sold to Todd Rundgren what yeah it's crazy well I gotta I'll totally admit my um gearhead sort of nerdism um especially with like overdrive and distortion yeah yeah, yeah. and there's this whole you know when he recorded the blues breaker album uh-huh there is this whole lore around the sound of uh, Bino is like what the name of his Les Paul was yeah. maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's got he's got <laughs> names for all of them. I was getting yeah. lost reading about him. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Are we talking about a person or a, a guitar? Right. Everybody talks about that tone. I mean, I don't. Again, I I only. I only know so much, and it's like, well, that's not. I don't really think that's the greatest tone of guitar. But like, I mean, like half the world does. But you know, um, in my cynical way, I was like, well, I don't hear anything special about that. But it's like huge. Like everybody, like is like that's their tone quest is to sound like that Blues Breaker album. I, it, it's the yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not. No, you know what I mean. I mean, I know what you're talking about. That's, that's hilarious, man. Um, yeah, which it's funny that you bring up John Mayall because that's who you brought up earlier, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, John Mayall and the Blues Breakers. I'm talking when I'm talking about the Crossroads oh, no. Festival. I'm talking about John Mayer. John, yeah, no, that's what you, that, I, I said. Mayall. I meant Mayer. Yeah. So John Mayer played a pedal called the Blues Breaker that was like this Marshall-made pedal that now, because he did that in some cheap, you know, piece of crap is what everybody thought about it. But now everybody wants that pedal because he, you know, John Mayer made it famous. That's, that's the kind of lore that's out there. So it's like <laughs> Clapton to <laughs> Mayer to now it's a $700 pedal. You there know? you go. That's there all it go. takes. That all, a guy making weird faces while he strums his guitar <laughs> and makes it gently weep. That's all it takes. There you go. Uh, you're one of my favorite people who makes weird faces while they play guitar. Phil, thank you. I like making weird faces. I know it's fun. Thank you <laughs> yeah. so much for for joining us. I felt like it was appropriate to do an Eric Clapton story with a guy like yourself, and you did not let me down. Oh, you know, I mean, I know enough. I know enough. <laughs> He's not my favorite, but I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of disappointed. I was invited to the Clapton one, but not the Keith Richards one. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you know, th- there's uh, there's a lot to dig through with Keith Richards. I'm sure there will be another Keith Richards episode. Okay. He keeps right. going. I felt hurt. I felt hurt. Also, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, there is a great video of Keith 
of your boy Keith at uh, just from two or three weeks ago when he played a benefit in New York. We put it on the Story Guys Facebook page. If you go to Facebook and check it out, I posted it not too long ago. Yeah. The winos. Yeah. And they're, they're, first of all, his drummer's amazing. Um, Yeah. And Keith does, he does a couple of Stone songs. He does a song from the solo record from 90 or 92 or whatever that was. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know he does mix vocals and you know it's not great (laughs) but like it's keith and you can't get mad at it because he just and they do uh what's this um before i run is that the name of the song yeah 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 before they make me run yeah yeah, um before they make me run and just i just rips dude it's it's like i can't not love watching keith richards who's i mean how old uh 80 plus he's got to be 80 right yeah watching this guy rip Wearing at like 80. cool clothes at eighty, like I'm yeah. like that's that's the dream. Yeah, yeah. The funny thing is, it, did it, was his guitar player there? Waddy Waddy Wattel, Waddy Wachell. I'm not sure. He's like, if you see him, you'll see him like in all the live clips of all the bands from the '70s because he played with everybody. But um, he he was the guitar player for the Winos in the '90s. Okay, with Keith Richards. Um, but even better, he married some lady. Who was like my college hangs aunt? What so in the in the height of the winos? He would go to Thanksgiving dinner, and Waddy would be there. What? <laughs> That's amazing. Yes, please. Yeah. You can cut this out of the, the end of your podcast if you want. I just thought I'd tell that story because it always amazed me. I was like, "You're gonna go hang out with Waddy Wachell at like Thanksgiving?" He's like, "Yeah, man. He brings me picks." <laughs> no, that's. Those anyway, are the stories we live for here at Rock and Roll Bedtime <laughs> Stories. Uh, if you want to get involved with the show, it's wearethestoryguys at gmail.com. You can check out everything we got going on at the site, wearethestoryguys.com. Murdoch should be back soon, but Phil, again, thank you so much for hanging, and please do the ceremonial statement. What is it that we got to keep doing until we talk the next time? Keep telling stories, Brian. Thank you so much for having Yeah, oh, this is awesome. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.